Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris here with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. Well past the century mark and excited for, see how many more we can get done in the year of 2020. So I don't know, I think we're going to go for 200, right Scott? Yeah, let's do it, 200. All right, so, uh, but enough about us. Uh, we are here today with a good friend of ours, um, Mr. Brian Potter. Brian, I can't even remember what your title is these days because you keep getting promoted. Um, but we met Brian originally, at least I met him originally because he was one, he came to the surf and sales. He's been to two of them. Um, so he's definitely one of those guys that can say, yeah, these guys aren't full of it when they talk about this and no, it's not some stoner dude vacation. He can certainly attest to that. It's legit, but Brian, thanks so much for joining us. So, you know, introduce us with your title, where you're from, what your company does, just so people have some context. Yeah, definitely. Thanks Richard. So currently I am a field learning consultant. Um, and so what I do currently is, or what, the reason the position was created is the business as a whole identified a gap in leadership development and a leadership bench, as opposed to just taking your top performing AEs, putting them into a management role and hoping that things worked out. So the businesses identified that gap. And so they created our team as essentially the folks that they've identified as leadership potential to create that bench, provide a bench for them but we're not just sitting around for the next 12 months waiting for a leadership role during the time that we're in this role. What we're doing is essentially identifying the dots and helping to connect the dots between different departments internally. So that's normally sales leadership, sales enablement, sales operations in the field itself. So that's, that's what I'm doing currently within this field learning consultant role. What's your, what, just so we know, so it's with SAP and, who, and you were with Concur that got acquired. Uh, just so for context, what's your average sales cycle like, deal size, just so people understand where you're coming from as we have this conversation today? Yeah, definitely. And so I'll give the context around the role in the segment that I'm, I play a part in. And so I'm part of our mid-market segment. SAP Concur as a business goes everywhere from literally a two-employee business up to enterprise-level organizations that are, right, Fortune 5 companies. Um, but the mid-market segment is we segmented out is essentially based off of geography, which would be zip code, and then also employee count. And so for the mid-market segment, that means that we sell into businesses that are 200 employees to 500 employees. Um, as far as average, so we look at things from an ARR perspective. So our average ARR is going to be anywhere from, I'll give you a range as opposed to giving you a specific average, but I mean, our range is going to be anywhere from say 10K to 100K. Um, as far as the deals that we sell and then average sales cycle is going to be somewhere between probably 30 to 45 days. What is, the, how has the field portion of your role, how, how does that exist even? Is that, this is like a legacy title at this point, is it not? Yeah, pretty much. And it's funny you, you mentioned that Scott, cause last week as a team, we actually did QBRs and we talked about kind of our SWOT analysis for the business, for the teams we support, and then also for us personally, and that specific thing came up, right? Because this team's been around since the beginning of the year. It's kind of a reimagination of a team that previously existed. Um, but for the first half of the year, the folks that have been in that role since January 1, that was the big part of the role was getting out into the offices, getting in front of the sales teams and doing those trainings. And so as you guys can attest, right, the Zoom meeting and the Zoom fatigue is a real thing at this point in time. So to yeah. answer your question, as far as how that how we do that and what that looks like today. 
it's everything from having a one-on-one -on -one with a VP of sales to a senior director of sales down to an actual field salesperson, right? And so that can mean, hey, what are the bigger initiatives that you want me to help you focus on and identify the gaps you might have in your business to literally crafting an email with an AE on, hey, I'm trying to get into a construction company, you know, I'm trying to construct an email to a CFO of construction company to gain access to that. So that's kind of how we're interacting. But to the field portion, non-existent at this point, right? It's all, it's all Zoom phone calls. Has there been like a, a, um, a progression or like a life cycle in terms of the, the selling going back to let's say March until now we're in late June. Has, have, you, have you noticed that? I mean, we were briefly kind of touching on it and I, and I, I want the audience to kind of hear about um, your thoughts on that. We were talking about a little bit offline. Yeah, I mean, internally looking at the sales force and the sales folks, what I, what I think I saw is, you know, beginning of March, COVID was out there, but I mean, from a sales perspective, I know I personally was still in a sales role up until April one. And so I probably had 80 to hundred K of ARR sitting on the, you know, sitting in the pipeline that I expected to close in March. I think March 16th was the day that Austin went shelter in place and literally 80 to hundred K just went away like that. And so March kind of became the month that as a business and individual salespeople kind of had a little bit of just paralysis right? It's like, whoa, okay. You know, people that I've been talking to don't necessarily know what they're going to do. They know that they're not going to invest any money at this point in time. They're going to wait and see. So the first 30 days was probably a little bit of just an a paralysis of just, okay, like wait and see. And the business as a whole was trying to figure out what is our messaging, right? Do we still go out with an aggressive sales message as far as like, hey, here's our value prop. Let's have conversations. Let's, let's sell you some stuff. Or is it more of a soft message around, hey, as you move forward as a business, the PPP loans are available here, are the resources that we can provide to help you get a loan if you need it. And the business as a whole kind of transition to more of the softer, hey, we're here for you, we're, we're a stable business, we're going to be around, we want to be of value to you. And then probably the next 30 days were salespeople going, well, yeah, I need to be mindful of the situation and the environment, oh, wow. but I'm, yeah, I'm still a salesperson. I still need to make money, right? Like I'm still trying to qualify for club this year. I'm still trying to pay the bills. So sooner or later, I need to figure out how I can go to market while still being empathetic, but yet still trying to solve problems. You mentioned still trying to go to club. What does president's club look like now? It's a trip to the kitchen. <laughs> all expense trip, paid trip to the kitchen and you get to stay there for four days and they're going to fill the fridge. What does it look like? What does it look like, Brian? Well, I can tell you for our organization, the president's club that I qualified for in 2019 that was supposed to happen in 2020 is not happening. Right? Like, so from that perspective, they're, they're, I'm, I'll probably share some really good things about working for a huge organization like SAP, and there's some bad things about working for a huge organization, right? One of the bad things is that when you work for a global corporation, they have to keep in mind global things and global impact. So to try and fly people from, I don't know, any number of countries to Hawaii to participate in a club, they have to keep in mind, right, autoimmune situation, right? Like 
if one person goes to that club trip and then goes back to the office or goes back to their country. So from a safety perspective, they pretty much said, hey, we just can't do it from a company perspective. Um, so that's what club looks like this year. <laughs> Not, non-existent. Um, do, they yeah, make it up, do they make it up to you somehow? I mean, if I had qualified for President's Club and I was supposed to go on this, you know, lavish trip somewhere, I would totally get, you know, hey, we can't go anywhere this year. I get it, right? But they had a particular budget set aside for President's Club. Are they divvying up that budget and giving, you know, a bonus to, to people like you who are qualified or do you just lose out? Yeah, and, and I may have to temper what I specifically share here, but the, the company... Hot topic. It, you, don't even, you can just say no answer. We're, we're good. No. no, no I'll, share, I'll share as much as I can, right? Because, again, even though I work for a much bigger corporation, the people within SAP Concur, specifically our COO, did a really good job of being very transparent and very forthcoming with, hey, when we're planning an event like this, most of the investment is already gone, right? Like we've paid X amount of dollars up front to reserve the time to make this happen. So the money's gone. Like, right, it's not like we set aside the budget, we're waiting to make the plan. And so to answer your question, Scott, no, there's no, okay, we're gonna split this X number of dollars, X number of ways, and you guys are gonna get a check. You know, we'll take care of the taxes. It's essentially like, hey, we pretty much just ate a huge, freaking investment on our side we know that it sucks we know that it's horrible we want to go as badly as you guys but here's the here's the real situation behind the scenes so so i thought they did a really good job of being transparent and forthcoming and and upfront as far as like hey here's the overall situation here's why we can do things and here's why we can't do things so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in so scott let's say you work for a big company and you haven't you've never worked for a company this big scott no, it'll, it'll, it'll never happen so hold on let me get into character so, so you get that message, right? And, and, and it's in this current world where, you know, maybe we are grateful to just have a job right now and, and those kinds of things. How would you, let's say you were managing the team, how would you motivate your team beyond that? Not like that you're the rep who's not going to club, but now you have to carry the company, you have to tow the company line. You're a sales leader, you know, you have 10 Brian's reporting to you, right? How do you still keep them motivated through that? Because I think that's what a, a lot of people are really struggling with. It's the, you know, we, can, we can easily go, ah, that sucks. And, you know, you know, F you and blah, blah, blah. But we still have a job to do, right? And it's hard on that line manager to do that. So I'm, I'm pontificating a bit so you can have a moment to think it through. This is, this is a really, really difficult question. I, I, I mean, first of all, I've never been in that position. And every instinct in my body is to rage against the machine and, and fight this situation. I don't know that I know. I, I really don't. Like, I would be really, I'd be really sympathetic to the situation. I would think I would try to get creative, number one, figure out what, what it is we can do. And maybe, if, maybe, maybe we don't have president's, president's Club and we can't split money evenly between the 15 people who are going to go for financial reasons, but maybe there's something smaller that we can do. Some, some kind of gesture. Can, can we give them more equity or something like that? I mean, I, I would really be trying to do something because if my team had busted their butt for a whole year to, to hit this reward and then for the reward to disappear, that, that's not going to sit well. That doesn't sit well with, with me. And uh, 
I, I would, I would have to try to get creative and. So let's, so let's brainstorm it. So, you know, cause, cause I, I, you know, it's easy to rage, right? Like, so I agree with you. Equity is one way you could do it. You know, you know, you could give everybody, you know, a thousand bucks to Amazon or 500 bucks and that might, and then you run the risk of that's all I'm worth. Right. So you have to sort of think it through. I don't think I would do the, do the, like the gift card thing doesn't work. Like I'm looking at Brian right now and, and no offense to Brian, but like, it looks like he's in his damn garage right now with, with the uh, things on the wall and, and, and whatnot. So I'd be thinking, well, maybe I can get this guy like a fancy office setup, right? Maybe I can get him a good, you know, mechanized desk that's like standing and sitting desk get him a good like thousand dollar chair you know get a get a, a rug in his in his office or something like i don't know man some some of these kind of things um are, are creative ideas that i might that i might try so i don't know that, that's got to be a tough situation what is it like transitioning from a startup that gets acquired by a you know global kind of conglomerate like uh, SAP. What's that, what's that ride and what's that journey been like for you? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't here at the time of the actual acquisition. I came in a little bit after. Um, but I mean, for the most part, the good thing that SAP, at least from my understanding and from what I've seen, has learned because they did a ton of acquisitions over the last like 10 years, right? And I think Concur was one of maybe like five acquisitions within probably an 18 month period. And it seems like one of the things that SAP learned was that the culture and how the business operates is part of the reason why they did the acquisition in the first place and why that company had been successful. And so I think previously there have been some times where they tried to bring in the new, the bigger corporate culture and it didn't necessarily lead to success. And so Concur has continued to have a lot of autonomy and to run as its own business moving forward. So that's actually been a really good thing to try and maintain the culture and maintain kind of still that smaller company startup type feel. And how, how long has it been now since the, since the merger? Oh, it's been like six years. Okay. And it's I think over, you know, it's interesting too, that they still pull the concur name, right? Oftentimes big companies come along and, and for, you know, I think the standard has often been a year you know, it's, S, you know, concur SAP or SAP concur and you're six years in and they're still doing it. That says a lot about what SAP does and how much they value that organization um, for what it does. Cause, cause you could get lost in SAP. I mean, they're huge, right? Oh, very much so. And the rebranding to SAP concur just happened within the last two fiscal years. So there was a good probably four years of where Concur was still operating as Concur as its own brand individually, autonomously. So to your point, Richard, yeah, they, they let it run on for a while. Yeah. So let's shift a little bit. Let's go back to, to young Brian, young Mr. Potter, right? What, were you the, the entrepreneurial kid? Were you always having, you know, um, some sort of side gig or trying to scrounge up some money? Like, what was your, what was that like for you? Competitive? Were you the sports kid? You know, all that stuff. Yeah, I was anything but the entrepreneurial lemonade stand kid, right? I mean, I definitely played sports starting from the time that I was 12, started playing little league. And cool. then from the time to I started little league to the time I graduated high school, I probably played, I don't know, six different sports. So definitely competitive, definitely sports oriented. Um, 
And then even my senior year, I actually played two sports that I'd never played before. And so even ended up lettering in those sports. And then soccer was actually one of those sports, which is really funny to look back at now because I realized how little I knew about what soccer was and how soccer was supposed to be played. <laughs> um, it, was, it was actually funny. So I graduated in 95. I'm giving away my age a little bit, but I graduated in 95. The World Cup happened in 98, I believe. And I remember watching the World Cup just having my mind blown about that's how soccer was supposed to be played because I was so, so horrible and I never played competitive soccer before. They just stuck me at right back, as I'm sure Scott can attest and knows the game. They stuck me at right back and pretty much told me, hey, if the ball comes near you, just kick it as hard as you can. So, so the, right? phrase, so, this, the phrase is called, when in doubt, kick it out. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was me. I was the right back. And if the ball came anywhere near me, just kick it as hard as you can away from the goal. So, What, what made you want to play? So you're in your senior year. I assume by then you're good at some other sports. Why take on a new sport? Like, I mean, that's, that's a mindset. That's a challenge. What made you want to do that in the first place? Yeah, great question. So the two sports that I played my senior year that I hadn't done before were soccer and swimming. Okay. So soccer, I played, so I played volleyball from the time when I was 15 as a sophomore. That was one of the benefits of living in Pittsburgh is that we actually had boys high school volleyball. So some of the guys that I played volleyball with played soccer and they just said, Hey, you should come out for soccer. I think it'll be fun. Um, the way that our seasons lined up, I had done, I'd played some football. Um, and so the soccer season and the football season aligned but it didn't take a lot for me to look in the mirror and realize that football probably wasn't going to be the path to much for me. And so that's where I, you know, had some buddies say like, Hey, you should come play soccer said, Hey, so let's you, do it. Were you trying to get a scholarship? Was that part of it? You were trying to, to get something or just you were tired just of football something. and you just knew you didn't need to get beat up anymore. Exactly. Yeah. I mean the mindset of the guys that were good at football versus me was just completely different. Right. I mean, there were guys that literally would die on that field trying to make a tackle or something else. And I'm sitting here going like, eh, I don't know that I really want to stick my head. I'm too, you know, Ryan's too handsome. You can't, you can't mess this up. Right? Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, also it was a challenge, right? I mean, to go out, do something new, something fun. I mean, the other sports that I had played, I'd played baseball since I was 12. I played volleyball since I was 15. So to go out and try and learn a new sport, you know, it was just something I wanted to try and, and do. And the challenging part was being a senior, right? But having the skills of probably a freaking 12 year old, if that, right? So you're a senior, you're playing JV soccer and you're still horrible. So that was a little bit of a challenge, right? Like having a little bit of that ego um, kind of bust per se, as far as like, okay, senior, you're playing JV and you're probably still riding the pine. Like that was a little bit hard to deal with. And so I probably put in just as much effort as anybody else. So to look back at it, I probably got, I probably increased my potential during that season as much as anybody else, if not more. But I just started from like a zero on a scale of a hundred, right? But I mean, it was a challenge. Do you did you look at tackling surfing as this same kind of challenge? Was that any part of the reason for you to come to a surfing sales times, or at least the first time? Yeah, definitely. I mean. I think for me, the older I get, if you look back at times where you're like, well, do I want to try something new? Do I try something new? I mean, the surf and sales, that was definitely part of it, right? It was like, okay, the first half of the day, I get to go out here and challenge myself, learn something new and kind of have that little bit of a childlike mentality towards like, well, what do I have to lose, right? Like I can leave here with a skill that I've never had before that 
I at least got the opportunity to try. I think yeah. it was having that mindset of taking a step back as a little bit of like that child where you didn't really care, right? You'd go and try anything. Oh, you got a skateboard? Sure. I'll jump on a skateboard. Other, other, doubt. other than us, I mean, talk about some of the relationships that you've established and, and what they've kind of turned into from the event. I think this is a, a part of the event that people um, are curious about and, and, and don't hear talked about all that often. Yeah, so I'll actually backtrack to how I even made it to surf and sales. And this, and, and Scott, I don't know if you even remember this, but so Scott Lease was building out his LinkedIn, right, brand and connections. And I didn't, I'm not, I'm not sure even, I even realized this until later on, but Scott Lease had reached out to me randomly and connected with me on LinkedIn. And what right? year, what year was that? Do you remember? At least 18 to 24 months prior yeah. to surf and sales. Like two years before, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I, I didn't even remember accepting Scott's connection request, right? And then randomly across my LinkedIn feed one day, hey, surf and sales, completely anti establishment sales conference, right? Like, you know, are you sick of going to the shitty Chicago hotel <laughs> in? November, February, you know, come to a 20 person sales conference where you actually get to spend real time learning, networking, um, right? And then also challenge yourself mentally, physically, and from a new challenge perspective by surfing the first half of the day. Okay, that sounds somewhat interesting. And so I think I saw probably like two or three posts before I really reacted to it. And I reached out to Scott and just said like, Hey, this seems interesting. And I don't know what level of interaction or response he had received up to that point, but I remember having a phone call with him just randomly, you know, Hey, tell me more about this thing. Like what, what are you thinking? It was the first one. I think he was still probably trying to, well, both of you were probably still trying to figure out what it really even looked like. Um, right, like the logistics of it, getting people there. What what does the lineup look okay. like? Who's going to be geniuses. speaking? We're geniuses. We knew exactly what it was going to look like. <laughs> um, so that's going way back, right? So you get to surf and sales. So before I'm even in Costa Rica, I'm in the Austin airport and I meet Cole and Claire. Right, so we're on the same flight going to Costa Rica. So before I even arrive in Costa Rica, I've already formed two relationships with people that, um, you know, I've stayed in touch with Claire somewhat. She's obviously a rock star. She's moving up in the world. Cole, I still see him almost on a monthly, if not quarterly basis. That's still for, like somebody I call a friend. Gone to CrossFit workouts together. We've done a Spartan race together. So that gives you a little glimpse into the relationships that can be formed. And then coming out of surf and sales, I think I've probably received at least two, if not three job offers or at least job inquiries as far as hey, I'm going to be posting a position. Is this something you'd even be interested in? Let's at least have a discussion around it. So both from a personal and a professional side, like it definitely speaks to what you guys talk about as it relates to the really interpersonal sense of that smaller group as opposed to going to a huge, you know, 10,000 person conference where you trade business cards, spend 30 seconds right at the bar while you're grabbing a beer saying like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? Who do you know? Who do you know? It's just so much more of an interactive and, and personalized event to get that time together. And I think, Richard, you've talked about it. It's really the time 
I forget the, the term you use, but it's really the time after the actual like learnings and formal sessions that you're sitting around trading those stories and learning about each other personally. Yeah. That you yeah, get to really, really get that in depth. Yeah. I remember, and I remember specifically for you and, and, you know, we'll, we'll sort of make this a follow-up to, to your surf and sales. You know, one of the things you came with and, and we spent some time there uh, was talking about that decision to go into management or not. Right. Really sort of looking at, do I want to be an IC? Do I want to be a manager? And we were able to have that conversation, um, which I think is really important. And, you know, I don't want to talk, I mean, we can talk about surf and sales, but what I want to talk about is what's your, how did you approach that going into that conversation? Like where were you then around management versus and leadership versus being a rep? Where are you now? How has your thoughts process evolved? Because I think a lot of people are curious about how do I get there? Do I want it? I don't even know if I want it. What do I do? So help us sort of start back from when you first thought about it to, to the process you went through as, as you built your branding career. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and for me, I'd kind of wavered on the IC versus the management thing for years, right? I mean, going back through my career, I've always worked at larger companies, right? So being at something like a FedEx or an Amex, you know, you'd have those conversations and it would be like, well, do you want to go into management? And I'm looking around at the people I work with going like, well, I can manage myself. I know I can like create a process for myself and I can follow that process and I can habitualize that process. I don't know that I really want to try and get these eight other knuckleheads to follow my process or get in line with what I'm thinking. And so it really took me some time personally to kind of get behind the idea of like, okay, I've gathered enough information. I've gathered enough experience to where I, I really do want to become the teacher versus the doer at this point. And so I really do want to pass on. So what were those things right now, if someone were coming to you to say, Hey, I'm thinking about it. What were some of those pieces of information, data points that made you sort of realize, Oh, I do want to be this teacher or someone else who's on this, who's, who's considering this as part of their journey. Yeah. I mean, I think when I looked at, if you look back at like your week or a month, thinking about the number of times you have somebody else on the team reaching out to you for advice and not just deal advice, right. But like, Hey, this is a situation that I'm involved with. What would you do or how would you handle it? And thinking about the enjoyment that I would get out of just those conversations versus trying to prospect or work a deal or close a deal. And so really seeing that level of enjoyment uh, and satisfaction that I got from that piece around kind of the coaching aspect is really what allowed me to say like, okay, that's, that's really where I'm finding my enjoyment and really where I think I'm going to be able to find some development and, and, and again, some enthusiasm and joy around it. So that's, that's really what pushed me forward towards the leadership piece. And then do you, cause on the flip side of that is you can give people advice and they won't take it. Right. Which, you know, from a leadership perspective is always tough, right? How do you navigate that frustration as you look at that type of situation? Yeah. I mean, that can be a hard one, right? Cause I think a lot of us in sales are fairly confident in our skills and abilities. So when you start telling somebody like, well, here's how I might be thinking about this. And then they go off and still do whatever the hell they want to do. It can be a little bit frustrating, but I think there's a portion of that, which isn't as much you telling them what they should do as much as asking a lot of questions and understanding where they're coming from and maybe presenting questions back to them so they can self-identify really where they want to go or what they want to do. And so at that point in time, it's no longer really, 
on you or in your control of what they do. It's really up to them at that point in time as far as what they want to do or how they go about doing it, right? So really just, you know, kind of asking those questions like, well, you know, and I think I've even heard you use this question before, Richard, where it's like, well, if you were to take a step back and you were to coach yourself right now, right, what would be those actions or how would you go about doing this or, or how would you be thinking about it differently than you might be right now as a person that's fighting over a deal with a small business rep or a nationals rep because of the employee counter, the rules of engagement. Cool. What, um, what's been the biggest challenge you've run into as you've sort of looked to grow your career there, right? Um, was it convincing your boss that you were ready? Was it, um, well, I, I've done that and holy cow, nobody told me this was going to happen. Like, oh my God, all of a sudden I got to be an Excel wizard. Like what, what were some of those thoughts? Yeah, I mean, one of the acronyms, which are many here at a large company that we use as it relates to personal brand and growing your, right, like your career path is PIE. So P-I-E, right? So performance, impact, and then exposure. And so one of the hard things I found is just balancing those three things, right? Because a lot of times you want to focus specifically on your performance, right? Like, hey, I got to get deals in the pipeline. I got to move the deals forward. I got to close the deals. Well, oh, by the way, what have you done to impact your team lately, right? Like, have you coached your team? Have you mentored your team? Have you provided them repeatable steps to help make them successful? And have you also gotten enough exposure outside of your own team to where people even know who you are? Right. So like balancing those three things equally is just really difficult. Right. And you got to like block out time or you got to think about that from a perspective of growing your, your career internally, because you can be and I can point to specific people that I know of that are killing it from a sales perspective. But nobody would ever look at them as a leadership opportunity because they're not necessarily impacting anybody else outside of their own ARR number and they don't have any exposure other than to their small team. Is, is there, which piece of those three do you find is the hardest to carve out and, um, and make time for? Is, is it the exposure piece? Because that's the part that's maybe less a core function of your, your current role. Is that the hardest part? For me, it was, right? Because I think the performance piece is just part of doing your daily job. The impact piece a lot of times is accomplished through just being kind of a team lead or somebody that people come to for, for advice or, you know, bouncing ideas off of. But the exposure piece really was, to your point, Scott, something I had to think about and actually extend myself to do. Because you'd have to reach out to people in other portions of the business, right? Like other segments of the business, other teams in the, in the business, and so that really was a harder aspect or at least a more difficult aspect for me personally. Because it's also, of, yeah, go ahead. What were some of the first steps that you took there towards, towards solving for that? Like if somebody, if somebody is, you know, an individual contributor like you who's, who's thinking about this and they could learn, you know, one, two, three small tangible steps that you took, knowing that it was difficult, what would you, what would you tell them? I mean, the first thing that happened for me is I just got good advice, right? I mean, I got good advice from people like you too. I got good advice from even the leaders inside of my own organization where, well, I guess the first thing is self-awareness, right? So I started telling people, hey, I'm not here just to be an individual contributor. Like I want my next step to be this. And they would tell me, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, you need to let people know that. And so that's where they would say like, okay, 
find two directors and a director is a front frontline sales manager here, find two directors that you think might be that you respect. You've heard talk on other calls that you want to connect with and let them know that you want to go into that role, connect with them, right? Like find two people in a different part of the organization. Maybe it's in client sales or client success, reach out to them. So it's very small tactical steps that in the overall scheme of things is a pretty small time investment but it put me on the radar of other people. And then when we would go to our annual sales conference, right, I would find time on their calendar, say like, hey, I'm here, like, can we grab coffee before the session start? And now you start growing that exposure. And, and in the overall scheme, again, very small time investments, but that went a long way to me even getting the role that I'm into today. So how do you, so, you, so someone says yes, right, to, yeah, let's have coffee. What do you chit chat about? right? Because you, you don't want to go in and brag about yourself, right? Do you just turn around and interview them about their experience and their life and just sort of make it about them so they like you? Like, tactically, what are you trying to do there? Uh, and it's the smart thing to do. I'm not, I'm not saying don't. I'm just curious, like, what advice do you give to people? Well, what, what do I talk to them about if it's the, you know, SVP of the Amer North America? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably break it down into kind of like three sections. Right. So to your point, Richard, I'd, if it's a cross-functional partner that I may, might not really even know that much about client success today, I'm probably going to pose this like, hey, I don't really, I'm in new business today. I know what I do. I know what the initiatives are in my piece of the business. I really have no clue what you guys do over there or what's important to you on a daily basis or an annual basis. Right. Like educate me a little bit on what's important for you, what it looks like to be in, in your department. I'd obviously share like, hey, Part of the reason I scheduled time today is that I'm looking to move into leadership. I don't know that there's going to be a leadership role within new business. Maybe there's an opportunity for me in client sales or client success down the road. I want to make sure that you under, you know, hey, just be blatant. Hey, I'm putting myself on your radar because I think there may be an opportunity for us to work together in the future. And then also, have you, position ever, have you ever had one of those conversations and it not go the way you expected? Probably. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's one I can point to specifically, Scott, but I mean, sometimes you leave the meeting, you're just like, okay, I'm not sure I really made the impact that I wanted to. Yeah. Well, I'm right? thinking about a time in my life where I had a similar conversation and was told point blank, um, you'll never get to this particular place in the company because you don't have enough experience and you're really good at what you do, but just like, it is what it is. This is like, you know, I don't know, 13 years ago or something like that. Long time ago. But, but I, that's when I wouldn't interview Scott because he didn't have any real sales experience. <laughs> that's right. I'm talking about when Richard wouldn't even give me a shot. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But I that's, know. A, that's an even better example, actually. Um, but I just, I just remember thinking, well, that, you know, was not what I had hoped to hear. And it was, it was like kick to the gut, you know. Like that, that, that sucked. That's not what I was hoping for. That wasn't motivational or inspiration. I have nothing to shoot for. They basically just told me I'm right here where I'm at and that's where I should, you know, plant roots. And I know, I know how I reacted to that. So I was just curious, you know, if you've had those conversations and they not go the way that you expected, how you've helped handle that and dealt with it. Cause you, you've been with concur for a long time now, at least it feels like a long time to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that you're 
speaking about it that way, I mean, I can think back to one discussion that I had where, you know, I'd, I'd had the discussion with my direct manager about wanting to go into leadership. And then it was time to have the discussion with, you know, kind of a level up or two levels up. And I wouldn't say I got as harsh of a message as you got, but it was kind of, I felt like I was starting at square one, right? Because I hadn't necessarily laid the exposure groundwork. And it was pretty much like, well, you know, you, you got to bring the performance to the table on a more consistent basis. You got to do these things. And to your point, it, it did feel like a little bit of a punch to the gut because it was like, well, I feel like I've been doing that for the last three years. Is, right? there, is there something that you would do differently on this, this journey if you, uh, if you could go back and do it, do it again? In terms of the way you've developed your career and the roles you've taken or said no to and things like that? I mean, probably the, one of the main things I'll probably point to is just trying to move through the positions more quickly, right? Historically, I've been in roles for a fairly long time, right? So when I started at FedEx, I was in inside sales for two years, went to field sales for, you know, another call it four, and then I moved into a more advanced role, but I probably would have been trying to advance my career, my position more quickly. And I probably would have been doing that by doing a better job of from day one, that impact and exposure piece from day one, as opposed to waiting 12 months to where I felt like from a performance standpoint, I was in a place to ask for that. Yeah. Because then if you go back after 12 months, you put in a good year, you're just now getting on the radar. That's only when they start paying attention, right? So you're probably going to have to deliver performance for another 12 months before they're really ready to consider you versus having the conversation on day one and saying, hey, over the next 12 months, I plan on doing a great job. At yeah. the end of that 12 month period, I want the opportunity to move into a different role. So be a, be a little more upfront and direct about what your goals were, state your case. So sort of start the process a little sooner overall. With, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. How do you, do you ever see yourself going to a small company? Yeah. Right, your, your history is a big company, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, do you, do you or do you just like the big company, which is fair. Like there's no right or wrong. Scott and I just swim in a startup world most of the time. So I'm just curious. I mean, I would definitely consider it. I think it would have to be the right fit for me. Right. I mean, if I'm being, if I'm truly having some self-awareness around myself and being transparent, going to an organization, right. Where there's 10 people, the product is barely baked out and they just hired a VP of sales and I'm literally the first sales hire. Yeah. Or maybe I am the VP of sales. I don't, I, honestly, I don't know if that's the right role for me. Right. But if I how go you, to a company, how, how do you, how do you plan to figure it out? At a certain point in time, you got to make that leap, right? <laughs> yeah. But how, what are you going to, so, you know, I know a couple of things will come up, right? You call Scott, you call me, you probably call Scott yeah. more than me, um, which is fair. Um, but, but what kind of things would like, even as you said that, what was making you hesitate? Because I look at you and I'd be like, oh my God, you know, if this guy is willing to build a process, he's a serious contender for me, right? Um, so wh where is even your hesitation just in this moment? Well, I guess it's not knowing what I don't know, right? And that's probably where I, you know, when we think about the things that I have done and that I may have done well, but the things maybe I haven't done well, or just continually staying in touch with people like Scott, or maybe putting myself in for a job that maybe I don't feel comfortable with, right? Like 
just to get that practice and to put myself in that position where I am having the interview with a founder or CEO or, you know, th that role to understand, well, shit, I, I can do this and I can maybe even do it better than most folks. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. When you were, go back to your senior year and all your buddies said, come play soccer, did you have to go through this sort of internal thought process to make the decision? Well, gosh, I don't know that. I don't know what I don't know. Or, or in that moment could, you know, maybe because you're younger and they're your friends and you, you know, were going to be surrounded by good people. You're like, yeah, let's go do it. Or were you still sort of this, thought, you know, Brian's a thinker. Brian likes to think it through, which is good. It's healthy. I'm just curious if this is sort of how you've been. I don't know that there was much thought that went into going out and playing soccer or, or swimming for the first time competitively as a senior. So, so why so much thought into the next phase of the career? Why can't you apply that same level of like idea, action, go, let's try it? I think it just feels so much more does it feel like finite. More, does it feel like there's more at stake? Or you said finite. Does that mean you, you worry like you could never go back? Well, I think, I think you, the word, word you used there was good, right? So it, just, it feels so much more at stake, right? Like, okay, I've got this career, right? Like I've, I've built my career at Concur at these big organizations. I have a brand. I have a reputation. I'm on the track to do something. To step outside of that and go and try and build something completely new, would I be starting from scratch or would I be starting, right, a few steps backwards if I were to take that chance and not succeed in it? It feels like you're like all you're all dialed in on how to do a science fair project around your career, right? Here's my hypothesis. I have to go collect some data, right? Maybe maybe that's the kid you were. Maybe you were the science fair kid, which is good. Like we're all working for the geeks now, anyway. So, um, so that's that's okay. Let's flip it. Up. It's it's good. I'm I'm glad you're sort of thinking about it, and or that we're encouraging because it's it's interesting to see how people think, and I th I'm hoping the people who are listening are, are picking up on that. Flip it to the other side. I'm a startup guy. I see that there's this great role at SAP Concur. How do I then come in and convince an SAP Concur that, you know, I'm not some flash in the pan who's just going to be at the startup, right? Like I do want the long term, right? What does SAP and Concur, what is a big, well, let's just even go bigger. What does a big company look for in someone, do you think, as they're looking at salespeople? Uh, I mean, I think it's some of the same stuff that I've talked about as far as coming in and from day one, being able to lay out a little bit of like, hey, here, here's why I would want to work at this organization. And here's why I'm looking at making a move from a small startup where maybe I'm worried about equity. Maybe I'm worried about having some kind of an exit versus building a career. Right. I think that's probably what a big company wants to hear a little bit is like, hey, I'm probably looking for a little bit of stability. I'm looking to build a career. I know that a big company like yourself is going to provide me the infrastructure to do that. And I want to grow inside of the company. I might not be on your team or in your department for the next five years, but I plan on being at your company for the next five years. If you can provide me the development opportunities that I'm looking for. And here's what I'm looking to do. I wonder um, if there are startup people who would even think about that five year thing, right? So many startup people were like, we're not dialed in that way. Right. Yeah. Five and, years. And hey, like that's yeah. crazy. Well, and I'm just one person, right? I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't a hiring manager working at our company today that wouldn't love the fire, the energy, and the passion that somebody from a startup brings that's willing to put, right, like grind it out day in and day out with that startup mentality. 
I'm just thinking from a bigger perspective when you're going from that startup mentality to a bigger company mentality, right? Like the bigger company is going to make a bigger investment in hiring you, training you, getting you to the point where you're going to be able to deliver revenue to the bottom line. So that's where at least from a, right, like interview and why somebody would consider hiring somebody like that. That's how I would present myself is the fact that I'm considering a longer term career with the organization. Which is, which is, and it's not a right or wrong, right? Like I, I'm yeah. pointing out that mindset again, for those listeners who've ever wondered, well, gosh, what's it like to go to the interview? Well, that's step one, right? Step one is you got to start to think like your new customer, your new customer is your potential hiring manager. Your new customer is the elongated sales process, you know, of hiring, um, which, you know, sometimes even the startups take longer than big companies, but it's another, that's another topic. <laughs> But I, I encourage people to think about that because that's something that's not talked about, I don't think, um, in, in the career mindset of firms. So, yeah. Brian, we're, uh, we're kind of at the end, of the end of the show here. What can we do to be, uh, to be helpful for you and continue to support you in the things that you're, uh, you're working on right now? Yeah, I mean, the first ask I would have is probably more of your audience than it is of you two specifically. But, um, you know, I'm trying to build my LinkedIn right world and profile and connection so anybody that is out there that i'm not connected with i love to connect with people and expand and strengthen my network and learn from others that are out there the people that i work with probably get sick of hearing the latest idea or the latest thing that i heard on a podcast or on linkedin but that's where i get so much of what i share internally and try and not allow the people that i work with to get so focused on how we do stuff on a daily basis at our company but really gathering from those startups that are out there that are innovating and pivoting on a, on a daily or weekly basis. Um, my second ask isn't necessarily for me, but I know you guys did the, the UK versus us, right? Which I know you guys yeah, yeah, kicked yeah. ass. Yeah. So the next, the next time you guys do one of those events, and this isn't for me personally, but this would be more for maybe a younger AE or SDR that's out there as part of the team that you form, I'd like to see you guys bring an SDR or an AE on as part of the team and give them the opportunity to gain that exposure and really show their chops. Brian, Brian wants to be Christian Leitner from the 92 dream team. That's what he's for right there. <laughs> I don't think he's wrong though, Scott. I think it would be fun if we brought I'm saying, in. I'm not saying he's wrong. It's yeah, a good I, idea. I think he's onto something. Let's bring in Blake Hudson and Brian yeah. Potter and a whole group, you know, Sarah Brazier, all these people who are, you know, we hear about in certain places, but not, not like us, right? Like people are probably smarter than us too. Um, I'll let them definitely do definitely So me, I think that's a smart idea. Brian. Good suggestion, Brian. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. That's, what's the best way to, for people to get a hold of you? Just LinkedIn is the best way. Head over to Brian Potter, Austin, Texas, connect with Brian, message him, tell him he did a great job on the show. And uh, Brian, you're tied for the lead right now with a surf and sales event appearances at two, I believe, other than, other than the founders. So hopefully uh, when, when we get a chance to hold another event, we'll, we'll see you again sometime soon. Without a doubt, man. It's always been a great pleasure getting together with you guys. And for those out there, not to sell too heavy here, but the surf and sales has been a great event for me. You guys mentioned as far as the connections that I've made, the value it's brought to me. And just for the people that are out there listening, I mean, the, the value in, investing in yourself, right? Because I did pay out of pocket for both of those events that I went to. And I think I've reaped, you know, the ROI on that has been however many X past what I paid for it. So 
whether it's the surf and sales or any other stuff that's out there that's available to, you know, to develop yourself, definitely do it. Appreciate that, man. All Thank good you so much, Brian, man. It's been awesome talking to you and catching up with you as always. Um, and, and of course, you know, stay in touch. Let us know what we can do. 100%. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hi, Brian. Take it easy, man. You too.